Section One of the Soul of Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Soul of Man by Oscar Wilde. Section One. The chief advantage that would result from the establishment of socialism is undoubtedly the fact that socialism would relieve us from that sordid necessity of living for others, which in the present condition of things presses so hardly upon almost everybody. In fact, scarcely anyone at all escapes now and then in the course of the century a great man of science like darwin a great poet like keats a fine critical spirit like monsieur renan a supreme artist like flaubert has been able to isolate himself to keep himself out of reach of the clamorous claims of others to stand under the shelter of the wall as plato puts it and so to realise the perfection of what was in him, to his own incomparable gain, and to the incomparable and lasting gain of the whole world. These, however, are exceptions. The majority of people spoil their lives by an unhealthy and exaggerated altruism, are forced indeed so to spoil them, they find themselves surrounded by hideous poverty, by hideous ugliness, by hideous starvation. It is inevitable that they should be strongly moved by all this. The emotions of man are stirred more quickly than man's intelligence. And as I pointed out some time ago in an article on the function of criticism, it is much more easy to have sympathy with suffering than it is to have sympathy with thought. Accordingly, with admirable though misdirected intentions, they very seriously and very sentimentally set themselves to the task of remedying the evils that they see. But their remedies do not cure the disease, they merely prolong it. Indeed, their remedies are part of the disease. They try to solve the problem of poverty, for instance, by keeping the poor alive, or in the case of a very advanced school, by amusing the poor. But this is not a solution. It is an aggravation of the difficulty. The proper aim is to try and reconstruct society on such a basis that poverty will be impossible, and the altruistic virtues have really prevented the carrying out of this aim. Just as the worst slave-owners were those who were kind to their slaves, and so prevented the horror of the system being realised by those who suffered from it, and understood by those who contemplated it, so in the present state of things in England, the people who do most harm are the people who try to do most good and at last we have had the spectacle of men who have really studied the problem and know the life 
educated men who live in the east end coming forward and imploring the community to restrain its altruistic impulses of charity benevolence and the like they do so on the ground that such charity degrades and demoralizes they are perfectly right charity creates a multitude of sins there is also this to be said it is immoral to use private property in order to alleviate the horrible evils that result from the institution of private property it is both immoral and unfair under socialism all this will of course be altered there will be no people living in fetid dens and fetid rags and bringing up unhealthy hunger-pinched children in the midst of impossible and absolutely repulsive surroundings the security of society will not depend as it does now on the state of the weather if a frost comes we shall not have a hundred thousand men out of work tramping about the streets in a state of disgusting misery or whining to their neighbours for arms or crowding round the doors of loathsome shelters to try and secure a hunch of bread and a night's unclean lodging each member of the society will share in the general prosperity and happiness of the society and if a frost comes no one will practically be anything the worse upon the other hand socialism itself will be of value simply because it will lead to individualism socialism communism or whatever one chooses to call it by converting private property into public wealth and substituting cooperation for competition will restore society to its proper condition of a thoroughly healthy organism and ensure the material well-being of each member of the community it will in fact give life its proper basis and its proper environment but for the full development of life to its highest mode of perfection something more is needed what is needed is individualism if the socialism is authoritarian if there are governments armed with economic power as they are now with political power if in a word we are to have industrial tyrannies then the last state of man will be worse than the first at present in consequence of the existence of private property a great many people are enabled to develop a certain very limited amount of individualism they are either under no necessity to work for their living or are enabled to choose the sphere of activity that is really congenial to them and gives them pleasure these are the poets the philosophers the men of science the men of culture in a word the real men the men who have realized themselves and in whom all humanity gains a partial realization upon the other hand there are a great many people who having no private property of their own and being always on the brink of sheer starvation are compelled to do the work of beasts of burden 
to do work that is quite uncongenial to them and to which they are forced by the peremptory unreasonable degrading tyranny of want these are the poor and amongst them there is no grace of manner or charm of speech or civilization or culture or refinement in pleasures or joy of life from their collective force humanity gains much in material prosperity but it is only the material result that it gains and the man who is poor is in himself absolutely of no importance he is merely the infinitesimal atom of a force that so far from regarding him crushes him indeed prefers him crushed as in that case he is far more obedient of course it might be said that the individualism generated under conditions of private property is not always or even as a rule of a fine or wonderful type and that the poor if they have not culture and charm have still many virtues both these statements would be quite true the possession of private property is often extremely demoralizing and that is of course one of the reasons why socialism wants to get rid of the institution in fact property is really a nuisance some years ago people went about the country saying that property has duties they said it so often and so tediously that at last the church has begun to say it one hears it now from every pulpit it is perfectly true property not merely has duties but has so many duties that its possession to any large extent is a bore it involves endless claims upon one endless attention to business endless bother if property had simply pleasures we could stand it but its duties make it unbearable in the interest of the rich we must get rid of it the virtues of the poor may be readily admitted and are much to be regretted we are often told that the poor are grateful for charity some of them are no doubt but the best amongst the poor are never grateful they are ungrateful discontented disobedient and rebellious they are quite right to be so charity they feel to be a ridiculously inadequate mode of partial restitution or a sentimental dole usually accompanied by some impertinent attempt on the part of the sentimentalist to tyrannize over their private lives why should they be grateful for the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table they should be seated at the board and are beginning to know it as for being discontented a man who would not be discontented with such surroundings and such a low mode of life would be a perfect brute disobedience in the eyes of anyone who has read history is man's original virtue it is through disobedience that progress has been made 
through disobedience and through rebellion sometimes the poor are praised for being thrifty but to recommend thrift to the poor is both grotesque and insulting it is like advising a man who is starving to eat less for a town or country labourer to practise thrift would be absolutely immoral man should not be ready to show that he can live like a badly fed animal he should decline to live like that and should either steal or go on the rates which is considered by many to be a form of stealing as for begging it is safer to beg than to take but it is finer to take than to beg no a poor man who is ungrateful unthrifty discontented and rebellious is probably a real personality and has much in him he is at any rate a healthy protest as for the virtuous poor one can pity them of course but one cannot possibly admire them they have made private terms with the enemy and sold their birthright for very bad pottage they must also be extraordinarily stupid i can quite understand a man accepting laws that protect private property and admit of its accumulation as long as he himself is able under those conditions to realise some form of beautiful and intellectual life but it is almost incredible to me how a man whose life is marred and made hideous by such laws can possibly acquiesce in their continuance however the explanation is not really difficult to find it is simply this misery and poverty are so absolutely degrading and exercise such a paralyzing effect over the nature of men that no class is ever really conscious of its own suffering they have to be told of it by other people and they often entirely disbelieve them what is said by great employers of labour against agitators is unquestionably true agitators are a set of interfering meddling people who come down to some perfectly contented class of the community and sow the seeds of discontent amongst them that is the reason why agitators are so absolutely necessary without them in our incomplete state there would be no advance towards civilization slavery was put down in america not in consequence of any action on the part of the slaves or even any express desire on their part that they should be free it was put down entirely through the grossly illegal conduct of certain agitators in boston and elsewhere who were not slaves themselves nor owners of slaves nor had anything to do with the question really it was undoubtedly the abolitionists who set the torch alight who began the whole thing and it is curious to note that from the slaves themselves they received not merely very little assistance but hardly any sympathy even and when at the close of the war the slaves found themselves free 
found themselves indeed so absolutely free that they were free to starve many of them bitterly regretted the new state of things to the thinker the most tragic fact in the whole of the french revolution is not that marie antoinette was killed for being a queen but that the starved peasant of the vendee voluntarily went out to die for the hideous cause of feudalism it is clear then that no authoritarian socialism will do for while under the present system a very large number of people can lead lives of a certain amount of freedom and expression and happiness under an industrial barrack system or a system of economic tyranny nobody would be able to have any such freedom at all it is to be regretted that a portion of our community should be practically in slavery but to propose to solve the problem by enslaving the entire community is childish every man must be left quite free to choose his own work no form of compulsion must be exercised over him if there is his work will not be good for him will not be good in itself and will not be good for others and by work i simply mean activity of any kind i hardly think that any socialist nowadays would seriously propose that an inspector should call every morning at each house to see that each citizen rose up and did manual labour for eight hours humanity has got beyond that stage and reserves such a form of life for the people whom in a very arbitrary manner it chooses to call criminals but i confess that many of the socialistic views that i have come across seem to me to be tainted with ideas of authority if not of actual compulsion of course authority and compulsion are out of the question all association must be quite voluntary it is only in voluntary associations that man is fine but it may be asked how individualism which is now more or less dependent upon the existence of private property for its development will benefit by the abolition of such private property the answer is very simple it is true that under existing conditions a few men who have had private means of their own such as byron shelley browning victor hugo baudelaire and others have been able to realize their personality more or less completely not one of these men ever did a single day's work for hire they were relieved from poverty they had an immense advantage the question is whether it would be for the good of individualism that such an advantage should be taken away let us suppose that it is taken away what happens then to individualism how will it benefit it will benefit in this way under the new conditions individualism will be far freer far finer and far more intensified than it is now i am not talking of the great imaginatively realized individualism of such poets as i have mentioned 
but of the great actual individualism latent and potential in mankind generally for the recognition of private property has really harmed individualism and obscured it by confusing a man with what he possesses it has led individualism entirely astray it has made gain not growth its aim so that man thought that the important thing was to have and did not know that the important thing is to be the true perfection of man lies not in what man has but in what man is end of section one recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey